Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We are so excited that you joined us today. Our lead pastor, Pastor James Lair, is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. We have seen how many Bible stories contain uh, the mention of a well. And these wells in the story often have a symbolic meaning. And I really believe if we apply these principles that we're studying to our lives, no matter what you're going through, it can still be well with your soul. Even if it's not well in your life or well out here, it can still be well in our soul. And perhaps the most well-known of the Bible stories containing a well is the woman at the well. And so we're just starting that, and it's going to be several weeks breaking that down. There's so much material there. The Pharisees had heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, though it was the disciples of Jesus who were actually doing the baptizing, not Jesus himself. And see, the Pharisees were all about comparing, competing, and keeping score, but Jesus didn't care about such things. What he cared about most was just doing the will of his Father. And so when the Pharisees tried to stir up trouble and competition, Jesus would have none of it. And so just as his popularity is soaring, Jesus walks away. And he sets out to journey from Judea in the southern part of Israel to Galilee, which was in the north. However, there is a big problem in between. Let's look at John 4, verses 4 through 6. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is about high noon. So Jesus was making this journey from the southern part of Israel to the northern part. And the most direct route was through a region called Samaria. Now we must study the history of Israel to understand the implications of Jesus making this journey through Samaria. After King Solomon's reign, many, many centuries before this, the kingdom of Israel was split into two different kingdoms. They were split between the tribes of Judah and Benjamin in the south and the other ten tribes in the north, and they were often enemies of each other. And the southern kingdom came to be known as Judah, and the northern kingdom kept the name Israel. Now the capital city of Judah was Jerusalem, and the capital of Israel was the city Samaria. And as history progressed, some of the kings in Judah followed God, but none of the kings of Israel ever followed God. They were wicked all the time. There were some good kings in the southern kingdom of Judah, but there were no good kings in the northern kingdom of Israel. And so God judged the northern kingdom of Israel first by allowing the kingdom of Assyria to conquer them. And not long after that, God judged Judah, the southern kingdom as well, through the nation of Babylon. But in the northern kingdom... The Assyrians that came from the north, they were especially vile and vicious people. And to ensure any uprising or rebellion, Assyria had an effective way, an effective practice of conquering a nation and then scattering the remaining survivors among the other nations they had conquered. So they'd come in and conquer a nation and they would take the majority of the people and they would scatter them through all the other nations they had already conquered. 
That way the people could never reunite, they could never regroup, they could never be a people again. And so that's what happened to Israel. They, they were scattered and so it be, they became known as the ten lost tribes. Now the southern tribes were still there but the northern tribes were completely scattered and lost. But Assyria always left a few people in the land and then they would bring in outside people and force them to settle among them. And so Israel was the same way. And so there were a few Israelites still left in the land of Israel, but they intermarried with the people from all the other nations that had been forcefully conquered there by the Assyrians. And so their offspring and their descendants became known as the Samaritans after the city of Samaria. So that's where the Samaritans came from. They were, they were Israelites that intermarried with other nations and therefore they were not considered pure blood Jews. And there had been a bitter prejudice between the Jews and the Samaritans for generations. The Samaritans even had their own religion that was similar to Judaism and they, they had the copies of the first five books of the Bible called the, the Pentateuch but they worshipped on a different mountain than did the Jews. And so there was rivalry and jealousy and, and prejudice between the Jews and the Samaritans. They hated each other even up to the time of Jesus. Now Jesus had many interesting encounters with the Samaritans through his ministry. Now Jesus came to bring salvation to the Jews first, but he also offered it to the Gentiles including the Samaritans. Now the Samaritans occupied an area of land that stretched across the middle of Israel. I mean, they were all stretched right through the middle of Israel. And you had Judea below them in the south, and you had Galilee to the north. You had the Mediterranean Sea on the west and the Jordan River on the east. And so they were, they were right smack dab in the middle of Israel. And so though it was more a direct route to go through Samaria, they didn't want to do that because of the danger and the hostility to the Jews. So you had to go right through Samaria, the most direct route, and that's the route that Jesus chose. Jesus had to go through Samaria, not for the sake of time, though. It wasn't because he was in a hurry. Jesus was never in a hurry. Have you learned that God is never in a hurry? We are. We are in a hurry all the time. We're wanting God to hurry up, get things done. But God is never in a hurry. And Jesus was the same way. He was not going to be pressured to do anything. He was only going to do the will of his Father. And so we see that there was a reason, not just for expedience, there was a reason that Jesus was going directly through Samaria. I'm sure his disciples were freaking out a little bit. This is not a friendly place. This is not a friendly region to them. But we see from the Life Application Bible the context does not indicate that Jesus was in a hurry to get to Galilee. Thus, the necessity must be understood in a different way. There was another reason. Jesus went to Samaria to give the Samaritans what he had given to Nicodemus, the offer of eternal life by being born again. And furthermore, by going to Samaria and bringing the gospel to the despised Samaritans, he showed that he was above prejudices. Wherever Jesus is worshipped as Lord and Savior, racism and prejudice cannot stand. And so Jesus was, was attacking that head on. This was a journey Jesus had to make. He had to. 
And if we want it to go well with our souls, my first point is this, sometimes we just have to. We have to do certain things. We have to go certain places. The Amplified Bible said it was necessary for Jesus. The New King James said he needed to go there. It was necessary for Jesus to take this route. He needed to go through Samaria because he had another reason. He was on a mission from God. And he was going through Samaria because he had an appointment with a certain woman there. This is amazing. The God of the universe cared enough about this this woman. She was not only despised by the Jews because she was a Samaritan, but she was despised by her own people, the Samaritans, because of the life she lived. Think about this, this person that was an outcast, and we're going to get more into it, how we know she's an outcast and how she had had five husbands. This lady had a reputation. Let me know that God loves people even if they have a reputation. And God so loved this one woman that he made a journey through a dangerous part of Israel to meet her. Jesus had a greater purpose and he took this route for her sake. Sometimes we have to do something for the sake of someone else. Sometimes we have to go somewhere for a greater purpose than just ourselves. It's not always about us. Sometimes your journey is about someone else you're gonna meet along the way. Every one of us, at some point in our lives, somebody told us about Jesus. They were on a mission. They were on a journey. They may not even have realized it, but somebody shared the gospel with us. We crossed paths with them. And in the same way, God will lead us through Samaria and not around. And that leads me to my second point. It'll be well with our souls when we go through and not around things. Most times in our Christian journey, we have to go through certain things instead of around them. Now, we may want to procrastinate. We may want to put things off, or we may want to avoid certain things altogether. But God often makes us go through necessary things. What you're going through right now is the hand of God. You may not like where you're at, but I want to encourage you. Don't bail out, don't quit, don't try to go around, go through. This is what God is doing. He's bringing you through something for a particular purpose. And we may not like it, we may want out of it, but don't give up, don't don't turn back, especially. There was a great purpose in Jesus going through Samaria. And sometimes we have to go through these things and places and even certain seasons for a greater purpose. There is no going around some things in our life. We have to go through. Indeed, the quickest way is to go through and not around. Years ago, when we pastored in Ojai, California for 17 years, 16, 17 years, we would sometimes travel to Tonopah, Nevada, and Round Mountain, Nevada, where my family still live. My parents lived there for a while, and and also my brother and his family. And I found that the shortest route from Ojai, California to Tonopah, Nevada. Now, you've always wanted to know this. I mean, this is important. The shortest route from Ojai to Tonopah is through a place called Death Valley. Now, 
Who wants to go through a place called Death Valley? I mean, look at the name itself. And, you know, people die there. I, I read recently that some people died there in Death Valley. So we went through Death Valley once. I think it was only one time. We're like, we ain't doing that again. I don't care if it's longer. But, you know, the Lord will sometimes lead us even through a valley of death. Isn't that what Psalm says? Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk, what's the word? Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The best way is usually through, not around, even the valley of death. You see, we want to overcome our fear, but the only way we're going to overcome our fear is to go through it sometimes. We actually have to go through the thing we fear. Because when we go through it and God brings us through the other side, guess what? We're not afraid anymore of that. We've already been through that before. And so I want to tell you today, if you're struggling with fear, remember what God has brought you through in the past. You don't have to be afraid. And it's when we go through these kind of valleys of life that we learn that God is with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And so God is in the valley. I don't care how deep the darkness is that you're experiencing right now, God is there. And you learn that his rod and his staff will comfort you. I don't have time to go into rod and staff, but one is for protection and one is for correction. And we need both. But it's good to know that if you're going through a dark valley, God is walking with you and he's got a staff to thump the enemy with. We can't avoid everything we fear. Sometimes we have to go through it to overcome it. We have to go through the valley of the shadow of death because that's when we learn to fear no evil. We don't have to live in fear of Satan. We don't have to live in fear of bad things happening to us because we're, we've learned to go through things. And we've found that God is there. He does not leave us alone. And then when we go through the valley we find ourselves in, we learn that his rod and staff and how that comforts us in those, these painful and fearful valleys, the Lord is with us. And if we are willing to go through, we don't quit, we don't turn around, we don't try to go around. If we are willing to go through what God has for us, there is something better on the other side. He brings us through things and brings us into breakthrough. This is how we have a breakthrough in our life is we're, we're willing to go through it. God didn't bring the Israelites around the Red Sea. He brought them through it. He parted the waters. They'd have never known that miracle if they would have tried to go around. And they would have never made it. And so Jesus comes to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Sychar was a small village in the region of Shechem, which Jacob had given his son Joseph. Look at Genesis 33, verse 18. After Jacob came from Padan Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped with inside of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver he, he bought from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent, and there he set up an altar and called it El Olohe Israel, which means mighty is the God of Israel. And so this is when we first learn that Jacob bought this land in Shechem. 
At some point, he dug a well there, and it became known as Jacob's well. By the way, that was one of the questions on the Bible quiz, just so you know. What's the name of the well where Jesus met the woman? Jacob's well. Now you're ready for the next quiz. Before his death, Jacob deeded his land to his son Joseph. And Joseph made his descendants promise to bring his bones up out of Egypt when they were delivered from slavery and to bury him right here at this place in this area. And they kept that promise after they conquered the promised land. Look at Joshua 24, verse 32. And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem. And this became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. And so this land and the well that was dug there had been passed down for generations. Now initially, Shechem was a person who founded a town, but at some point, the whole region became known as Shechem. And Sikar was a particular village in this region of Shechem. Now in the Bible, the meaning of names is very important. And sometimes even prophetic or indicative of a person's nature or reputation. And so names had meaning. When you named a child, you, th- th- those names had meaning. And when there was a name of a town, it had meaning. Because a name would define who you are. Your nature, your character, your personality sometimes. Now, Sikar means liar. Not lair, liar. I need to get that clear. I always hold my breath when someone reads my last name for the first time. I'm like, oh, great. Here it goes. Can they, can they read? Can they spell? Mr. Liar. Nope, they can't. And so whenever I give my name, I have to follow it up with lair, like a lion's lair. That sounds powerful, and hopefully they don't forget that. But sometimes it's still misspelled. Sikar means Liar. But there's also another meaning to this town. Sikar can also mean drunkard. How would you like to be from this town? People say, say, where are you from? Liar. No, no, where are you really from? Drunkard. Oh my goodness, how would you like to be from a town like that? As I have shared many times, I graduated from high school in Tonopah, Nevada. Salute. Now, Tonopah is a Shoshone Indian name that means small water or no water. It perfectly describes the climate there. There is no water there. There is not much there. Not not much grows there. It's situated in the middle of nowhere. There's, especially when I was there, there was nothing to do. The nearest theater or McDonald's, bless God, McDonald's. That's the mark of a town right there. When you get McDonald's, you have arrived. So that when I was there, there, there is a McDonald's there now, but there wasn't when I was there. There wasn't a movie theater. We'd have to drive two and a half hours to the great metropolis of Bishop. Hey, when you're in Tonopah, Bishop's a metropolis. Or you could drive four hours north to Reno or four hours south to Las Vegas. Wow. I got to be honest. It was difficult to grow up there. It's very hard. A lot of challenges. However, I met some of the greatest people that are still lifelong friends. Because how many know that doesn't matter 
where you are, God's people are there. On a side note, often AG churches are named after the city in which they are located, right? Such as Bakersfield First Assembly God. Or Tonopah Assembly of God. There was an Assembly of God in Tonopah. I went to it. Now to a Shoshone who's driving through town and he looks at the sign, that means that is no water Assembly of God. Probably think, man, there's no plumbing there. There's no bathrooms. Now after first service, this was awesome. One of our retired missionaries told me of a church in South America named the Great Beast Assembly of God. And that's because the town's name in Spanish means the great beast. How'd you like to go to church there? The great beast assembly of God. Then he, even better, he told me of a church in Cambodia named Chicken Poop Assembly of God. <laughs> after the name of the village. I'm not kidding. There's a real chicken poop assembly of God. Can you imagine that on the business card? Here you go. How do you sell the website for that? My goodness. And your logo. What's your logo? <laughs> I have some thoughts, but I'll keep them to myself. And so if you're going to Chicken Poop Assembly of God, or if you live in the town of Chicken Poop, I guess Tonopah and Sakar is not so bad. There's always Hungry Horse Montana, I just learned today. I wonder if there's a Hungry Horse Assembly of God. Can you imagine the potluck dinners of Hungry Horse Assembly of God? Now, you may not like where you came from. We often had no choice about that. However, for it to go well with your soul, you must realize, number three, you are not where you came from. The person you are does not have to define who you will be. You see, the woman Jesus would meet had quite a reputation, as I mentioned. Now, I, got, I forgot to mention this. In Tonopah, there wasn't much there, but there was a house of ill repute and a slot machine in every, every store and every, everything. And so this woman, she actually fit in well with her town. Liar, drunkard, I'm sure with the many affairs she had that there was some lying going on and I'm sure some indulging in liquor. And you know what's sad is her town defined her. She, she fit the image perfectly, sadly. All that would change when she met Jesus. Where we are from should not define us and who we are to be. Jesus defines us. And whatever abusive, addictive, or dysfunctional environment you grew up in does not have to determine who you are now. Amen? Amen? Whatever you went through, whatever you've gone through, and I'm telling you what, as a pastor of 36 years, I have heard stories that I, I sometimes can't sleep at night because of the things I've heard and the, the terrible trauma that people have been through and the, the, the horrible abuse that people have experienced and, and have told me as their pastor. And, and I carry these stories around in my heart and I think, oh God, how could people suffer like this? How could people go through so much? But I'm telling you, that's why Jesus came, was for you and for me. Because we're all messed up a little bit, right? Come on, let's be real. There was no perfect family. None of us are perfect parents. 
I was a perfect parent until I had children. Doggone it. They messed everything up. I knew how to raise kids until I actually had to. My kid, you ever say, my kids will never be like that. Oh, they'll never do that in a restaurant. <laughs> they'll do that and more. After a while, I just started saying, it's not, he's not mine. I don't know. There's just not enough seating here. I just joined this family. Your last name, even, does not make you who you are. The name of Jesus does. That's who makes you who you are. This is what's so awesome. I mean, think of this story. What a setup. Here's the savior of the world coming to this most outcast woman. She, she, had, she was a sinner. She was lost. She was hated by the other women in town. That's why she came at midday. We'll get into that. But I'm telling you what, God so loved you and me that he came and he gave us a new name through the name of Jesus. And our past does not have to define our future. It doesn't have to control it. There's something we can do. We sang it today. There is power in the name of Jesus. And that changes us. And that changes our destiny. Our past does not dictate our future. Jesus does. And so Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. This jumped out at me. Jesus was tired. You know, sometimes we forget about the humanity of Jesus. Now, we know that he was fully God, but he was also fully human. It's the mystery of the incarnation. Jesus did not give up any of his deity. He gave up some of his power, but he didn't give up any of his deity to become a human. But he was 100% man and 100% God. And yet there's that humanity side of Jesus sometimes we forget about. The fact is that Jesus got tired. Jesus was hungry. Remember that? He was thirsty. He became weary. And you know what? Jesus even took naps. I have a t-shirt to show you that illustrates this. Jesus took naps. Be like Jesus. Mark 4.38. This t-shirt is for sale online, and Mark 4.38 talks about the time Jesus fell asleep in the stern of the boat while there's a storm going on. He's napping. The disciples are freaking out, and Jesus is snoring. Now, Jolene's birthday is coming up. I am going to buy her a shirt like this, because she is an Olympic napper. The greatest gift I can give her is an extended, glorious, uninterrupted nap time. Are there any other professional nappers out there? You can relate. Oh, bless God. Yes, yes. Especially Sunday afternoon, right? Oh. So yes, Jesus did get tired. And he did take naps. So be like Jesus. And not only did he experience all there is to being human, he faced every temptation you or I could ever go through. And yet he did not sin. I, whatever, this is so important for us to understand. Jesus gets us. He gets us. 
He understands us. He even sympathizes with us. Look at Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who, was temp- who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I want you to understand, whatever temptation you've ever struggled with, Jesus has been through it. He understands. He understands that power. In fact, he understands us more than any of us because he never gave in to it. He never sinned, but he, he felt the full force of temptation. You know, when you give in to temptation, the full force ends. Jesus never gave in. He experienced the full force of temptation. And so this should encourage us that he gets us. He understands us. He sympathizes with us. And what should we do? We should come to the throne of grace when we're struggling, when we've sinned, when we've failed. We come to God, and God will not send us away. He will receive us to himself. He has promised if we confess our sins, he will forgive us our sins. He's faithful. And so I think sometimes we beat ourselves up too much. We all fail. We all sin. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so we all need Jesus. But sometimes we try to pay for our own sin, and you never can. We beat ourselves up. We criticize ourselves. We tear ourselves down, and that will never help you overcome sin. In fact, it will drive you to it more. We battle our shame and our guilt and regret from the past. I want you to bring it all to the throne of God because God cares. God understands. He understands our weakness. Look at Psalms 103, verse 13 and 14. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. God knows we're just a bunch of dirt held together by his power. You know, 95% water and a couple minerals. He realizes how weak we are, how frail we are. And he's like a father. To come to us. He, he does not abuse us. He does not beat us. He does correct us. He disciplines those he loves. But I want you to know that even in God's discipline, you will feel loved. It, it won't feel like discipline because you know it's for your good and it's all because he loves us. God is sometimes more sympathetic to our weaknesses than we are. We are much harder on ourselves than God is. And so we have to realize that we are human. We are only human. There are no superheroes. I'm sorry to break it to you. Superman's not real. I'm sorry. Aquaman can't hold his breath that long. It's not real. That that dude may look, you know, stunning, but he can't hold his breath that long. Wonder Woman, you know, no, there's no invisible jet. Sorry to break this to everybody. 
Because that's all that's on TV and in the movies, right? Everything's superheroes. Superhero that, superhero this. There's, it's all about superheroes. Why? Because the world is looking for someone greater than themselves. And, and his name is Jesus. They don't realize, it's not Superman, it's not Aquaman, it's Jesus man. And that's what the world is really hungering for. But we need to realize we will never be superhuman until we're face to face with Jesus in heaven. And so I, I, I want to dismiss those that are going to be baptized at this time. But I want us just to review what we've studied today. For it to be well with our souls, sometimes we, we will have to go through certain things. For it to be well with our souls, we must go through and not around. And for it to be well with your soul, you must realize you're not where you came from. Your past does not define your future. This is one of the greatest things about being a Christian. This is why these people are being baptized today. Because they're making a public statement that I'm not who I was, how, who I used to be because of Jesus. They're going to take on his name and walk it out as his child. And so for the wellness of our souls, we have to remember we're only human. We will make mistakes. We will fail, but God is there to help us in our time of need. What an awesome God we serve. He never sends us away. He never tries to crush us. He receives us when we come in the name of his son. And so you're going to see people baptized today, and they're going to make us a profession of their faith that they're going to serve Jesus the rest of their lives. This is so awesome. I love water baptism. Now, they've already accepted Christ as their Savior because water baptism does not save you. It's just a symbol that you are saved. It's a testimony. So they're, by their doing this, they are making a stand and a statement. That's awesome. Please stand with me. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God bless. You're free to go. Thank you for tuning in today. We are so excited that you joined us. If you chose to say yes to Christ today, we would love for you to text the word born again, all one word to 94090. By doing so, you will receive more information on your next steps in following Christ. We meet every Sunday at 8.30 and 11 a.m. right here in Bakersfield, California at 4901 California Avenue. We would love for you to join us in person. Also, we have a live stream service at 11 a.m. every Sunday morning. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook. If you'd like more information about Bakersfield First Assembly of God, you can search us on the internet at bakersfieldfirst.com. Thank you for joining us today and have a blessed week.